Well, good morning, Red Hills Church. I'm so glad and thankful that you joined us this morning. For everyone at home, thanks for being with us. Uh, And everyone in the room, you're probably wondering uh, why I'm on video again two weeks in a row. Um, It's because I'm recovering from being sick in uh, just one more Sunday, and I'll be back the the following Sunday. So thanks for being patient with me. Thanks for praying for our family. Um, I know it's just a, a difficult time. I know when we started a COVID, the pandemic, we thought this was going to last three weeks, and here we are uh, almost two years later. So just thanks for being flexible, uh, and uh, i just so grateful for uh, our team to be able to film and be flexible and, and shoot this beforehand. So thank you. Um, this morning, we're going to just jump right into the message series today, which is uh, called Watery Grave, and it's all about baptism. And uh, I want to encourage you to sign up for our baptisms, which are happening next Sunday during the gathering at 1030. And, uh, and we're doing this partly because we want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized, um, to consider being baptized uh, because it means so much. And, uh, and so I encourage you to sign up. You can sign up online. You can go to our connect table. You can find a pastor, staff member, and say that you want to get baptized next week. We're going to do that. Well, I wanted to show you a picture and start off with this picture. It's, uh, I took this a couple years ago, and it's in Apgar, Montana. It's right at the entrance to Glacier National Park. And I, I was here a couple years ago, and uh, I was just in awe of the beauty of God. And I, it reminded me of this, how, of how big God is and how small I am. I think I was the only person in the park that day. I didn't see anyone else. I was all alone, and there's the majestic mountains in front of me, and this beautiful lake in front of me, and God seemed so big. But somehow, through Christ, he made it possible for me to connect with him in a personal and relational way. And somehow, I have my greatest significance in him. The God who created the whole world, who created the mountains, who created the, 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 the beauty of everything we see, made it possible for me, for you, to have a personal relationship with him. And this personal relationship is symbolized in what we call baptism in our Christian faith. And this series, Watery Grave, is all about baptism. Now let me remind you of what baptism is. We talked about this last week. But baptism is a picture in the physical of what happens in the spiritual. It represents the gospel and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Of what it means to have a big God yet be so small in the context of the world and still have incredible significance and relationship with this big God. The, the Greek word for baptism is the word baptizo. Literally, it means to immerse, to dip, to dye. And the image is that of a, a cloth being dipped into the water or into dye, coming out and being completely changed and completely different. And let me give you our working definition of baptism. Baptism is the conscious, public expression of your faith in Jesus Christ, It is confirmation of your salvation and initiation into Christ's church. I I said this 
last week, I want to say it again, that one can be baptized without being saved, and one can be saved without being baptized. Because baptism is to the Christian faith as the wedding ceremony is to marriage. You don't need a ceremony to be married. There's common law marriage. You can get married by a court. Uh, You can express your love in a monogamous relationship without having a ceremony. But the ceremony does something significant. It actually tells everyone who comes, it is a public display of your affection and love for the person that you love the most. And the ring on your finger is that seal of that covenant. It's a sign to everyone else that you're in love, that you are married. It's important to know this, that that grace is not dispensed through our works or obedience. Your salvation is not because anything that you have done. It is dispensed by the means of our faith and it is purely through grace. So I want to go on to some questions today and I've organized my message around more questions about baptism. So here's the first one. Question number one. What happens when I'm baptized? And what does it actually mean? Theologically, what is happening? If baptism is a symbol or a sign externally of what happens internally or in the physical of what happens in the spiritual, then what actually happens in the spiritual? Well, I want to start with the baptism of Jesus. The baptism of Jesus is a statement of identity. God said this about Jesus in his baptism. He said, this is my son. It's an identity statement. And baptism at its core message is a statement of identity. Now, let me talk about the identity crisis that we face today. You know that right now, even in today's culture, in today's world, that we are witnessing a mass identity crisis in our culture. More than ever before, people are confused about who they are or what they are. People are confused about race, religion, gender, sexuality, marriage. Men are confused in how to treat women. Dare I keep going? We're confused about politics. And it's interesting because we are complex beings. And we are made up of, of many parts. Like, like my identity isn't, isn't just one-dimensional. It's actually multi-dimensional. What do I mean by that? Well, let me give you an example. Who am I? I'm a pastor, right? Uh, th- that's my vocation. It's what a lot of people here see me as. I'm a pastor. I'm a father. My kids don't know me as pastor. They know me as dad, all right? I'm a husband. Uh, I'm a friend. I'm a coworker. I'm a boss. I'm a student, right? I've got many different identities or roles that make up who I am. Am. And it's interesting to ask ourselves the question, where do we get our definition of our own identity? Where do I get that? Where do you get that? Where does culture get that? In, in most people, I would say, get their definition of who they are from culture, from media, from uh, fr- from what they watch, from what they see, and, and the trends that are happening in the world, and, and just generally in culture, they get their identity from culture. And it's interesting to ask the follow-up question, because uh, it, the one question is, where do I get my identity? The second question is, where do I get the validation of my identity? And with a broad brushstroke, again, it's culture. 
It's social media. It's how many likes I get or how many posts I get or how many pins I get. Our definition and validation often come from the same source. And here's what's interesting. Some of you might be wrestling with your identity. If you ever felt like the skin doesn't fit, right? If you've ever looked in the mirror and what you look at doesn't reflect how you feel, you may be wrestling with your identity. Let me just say this, that everyone at some point or another wrestles with their identity. Now, I've talked to you before about the five conversions of life or the five stages of life. I won't go through all of them, but throughout your life, you go through five conversions. From, from uh, early childhood all the way to retirement, there are five different areas in your life that you have a conversion. And each one, you can have a crisis of identity. You, you question who you are. You question what you're doing. You question, should you be here? All right, you, you question a lot. Should I work here? Should I live here? Should I love this person? Should I not love this person? You question who you are all the time. And baptism is a statement of your identity. In fact, I would argue that one of the greatest statements of your identity is found in the waters of baptism. Not because you're just going under in water and coming out. It's what spiritually, theologically happens. What happens in the spiritual when you walk through the waters of baptism. I, I want to take you to the book of Romans this morning. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 11. And it is a, uh, the, 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 one of the greatest verses on baptism. And exactly what baptism is and your identity in that baptism. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 11. This is what Paul says about baptism. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but, to, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let me dive into this passage for the rest of our time Together, You see, baptism symbolizes what happens when we receive this free gift of salvation. It's about our identity, and it's all about Jesus. And so I want to give you this morning three ways we identify through Christ in baptism. We identify with Christ through baptism. By the way, this is profound. This is the gospel. 
This is what happens through faith when we receive the gift of grace and salvation. If you've ever wanted to know what happens when I raise my hand to receive Jesus, when I commit my life to him, however you did that, that that day that you crossed over into a life of faith where you said yes to Jesus and you became a disciple, I want to explain exactly what happened in your life when you made that decision. And maybe some of you have never made that decision. I want to explain to you what will happen when you make that decision. What happens to your identity. So we identify with Jesus in three ways. The first one is this. You can write this down if you're taking notes. We identify with him in death. It says this in verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Now, if you're new to faith, this might sound a little bit morbid. Why would I identify with Christ in his execution and his death? You know that Christ suffered the most horrific death that you could experience in the first century. He was crucified, nailed to a cross. I mean, you read the story uh, of what happened, the narrative in scripture. It's gruesome what happened. Of course, many of you, you've seen the passion of Christ, which I think does an excellent job of displaying uh, the, the truth of what happened to Jesus. It's, it's horrible to watch. But, but it's not just the suffering that Jesus uh, experienced on the cross, it's because of what the cross did. You see, this is the gospel. Christ's death satisfied the demands of sin. We, we believe this. We believe what the Bible tells us in Genesis 3 that sin is entered into the world. And when it entered into the world, it brought death. You see, God didn't create a world with death but he created a world with life, of fruitfulness and joy and an ultimate uh, experience with him. And when sin entered the fabric of the cosmos and the innermost parts of our lives, it demanded something. And what it demanded something from its host is it demanded death. That's what sin does. Sin brings death. It kills life. It strangles joy. Sin in its most broadest terms is the pervasiveness of all things evil and wrong in the world. You know, it's interesting because oftentimes we think of sin as a very personal issue, right? I, like, like I sinned, like I, I made a mistake, I lied, I cheated, I, uh, I, 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 I said something to somebody that I shouldn't have said, and, and we make it so personal, and it is very personal, but sin is much bigger than the personal stuff that we face. It actually pervades all of life. And it pervades all of the world. In fact, the world itself is broken because of sin. Our weather patterns are broken because of the pervasiveness of sin. This is why in Revelation, uh, John says this, that Christ is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. Why would he make a new earth if the earth wasn't broken? He is going to remake the earth. And all of us are affected by that sin. And sin wants to be our master. And sin wants to take us to the grave. And when Jesus went to the cross, he willingly suffered death to fulfill the demands of sin. Even though he had no sin, he fulfilled his destiny. Why? 
so that he could fulfill the demand of sin for everyone who put their faith and trust in him. This is a core element of the gospel. Church family, this is the good news. This is the good news. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are identifying with his death. Verse six and seven, it says this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with so that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Listen, if you want to experience life, you must first experience death. There is a big claim in the Bible. It's the massive, it's the biggest claim in the Bible, and it's this, that we can have eternal life, that humans were destined and designed to live forever. And eternal life means life with Jesus for all of eternity. And the path to eternal life, what the Bible calls new life, is through the death of your old life. And the Bible is clear that when we are brought into this world, we are born into a nature of sin. And our sin nature seeks to control our life and keep us from God and eventually bring us to an eternal death. But the cross reverses that. You see, when you say yes to Jesus and ask for the forgiveness of your sins, you are dying to your old self. You are accepting Jesus' death on the cross for your own. Practically, what does this mean? And here's your identity. It means this. Something that I love to tell people. And if you've been around our church a long time, you've heard me say this over and over and over. And it's this. That you are no longer a sinner. You know, there, there's an old song. I think it's a, a Gaither song. And it's, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And every time I hear that, or I hear someone say that, that I am just a sinner, I think, no, you're not. You are Not your identity has been changed. This is Paul's argument in the book of Romans in Romans chapter 5, 6, and 7. You're not a sinner. Don't say you're a sinner because you're not. That is not who you are. That is who you were, but it is no longer who you are. You are completely new. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Whoever is a believer in Christ is a new creation. The old way of living has disappeared and a new way of living has come into existence. You are no longer a sinner. Then what are you? The Bible calls you this. You're a saint. You're a saint. I know some of you don't feel like that. You go, oh, Aaron, I still make mistakes. That's true. But your identity has changed. You've crossed over from death to life. You are a new creation. Something fundamental about your nature and character has changed. You've gone from sinner to saint. The Greek word for saint in the Bible is hagios, which means holy one. And sometimes you still struggle with sin because we live in a world of sin and temptation. But understand this, that sin no longer rules your life. You are not a slave to sin anymore. That's what Paul is saying. You have a new master. You have a new master. Listen, when you come to know Jesus, understand this. That that sin doesn't always go away in your life. Because you're surrounded by it. The text does not say that sin dies to the believer. It is the believer who has died to sin. And there's a difference. 
And tragically, we live in a culture where some churches and even Christians have decided to redefine what sin is and what sin isn't. But, but by the way, I just want to say this. When, when, when churches or people decide to stray from orthodox theology, there is no growth. There is no growth because there is no life change. If there's an acceptance of sin, there is no life change in you. If sin is who you are, there is nothing that changed. Individuals don't grow. Churches don't grow because there isn't new life. Listen, new life comes through death. It's the only way to new life is through death. So my question to you today is have you made a decision to put your trust in Jesus and have you died to sin? Let me give you the second way we identify with Jesus. We identify with him in burial. It says this, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Here's what's interesting. Paul doesn't say that we were buried like him. He says this, that we were buried with him. That our old self has been laid into the grave with him. See, burial symbolizes the finality of things. And there is a difference between the death and the burial, right? If you've ever been to a funeral, there is a difference between the death and, and the burial. And the burial is the finality of things. And when we are buried with Christ, it is the end of sin in our life. It means this, that sin is stripped of its power in death and burial. Baptism is this. Baptism is the end of life without God and the beginning of life with God. That's what baptism represents, and that's what baptism means. Randy Alcorn wrote this book called Heaven, and I love what he writes in this book. He says this, the best of life on earth is a glimpse of heaven, and the worst of life on earth is a glimpse of hell. For Christians, this present life is the closest they will ever come to hell. For unbelievers, it's the closest they will ever come to to heaven. You see, salvation and baptism as a seal is the assurance that the worst part of life on this earth is the closest that you and I will ever get to hell. Why? Because we died to the life that takes us there. And in the waters of baptism, we not only die to that life, we bury that life. That old life is buried with Christ. Not only do we let go of it, but we bury it. Erwin McManus wrote this amazing book called The Last Arrow. And the tagline is, save nothing for the next life. He's kind of give everything away. You can't take anything with you, give everything away. And he talks about the temptation that even though we've buried our old life, that we have a temptation to go back to it. He says this, as long as we have a contingency plan to go backward, then backward is where we find ourselves going in the end. Our plan B is to go back to the life that we never wanted in the first place. This is exactly what happened to Israel. In the last year or two, I've talked a lot about Israel's journey in the exodus from Egypt into the promised land. It's been a dominant theme in my teaching. And even in November, we talked about the Red Sea crossing being the first evidence of a baptism. A, a, an entire nation got baptized in the Red Sea. They walked through and they buried their old life and they found a new life. They found deliverance from Egypt. 
They cried out to God to be free. And then later when they're in the desert, you know what the Israelites did? They asked to go back to Egypt. All they wanted was to be delivered from Egypt. And when they were in the desert, all they wanted was to be delivered back to Egypt. You see, if slavery remains an option, we will find ourselves abdicating our freedom. But here's the thing. We usually don't call it slavery to something. We call it other things. We call it safety. We call it comfort. We call it security. You know what the Israelites said? I would rather go back to Egypt where we know where our next meal's going to come from. They didn't say, oh, I'd rather go back to Egypt and be enslaved. No, no, no. They said, I'd rather go back to Egypt and be more secure. I'd rather go back to Egypt and be more comfortable than this life and journey of following God's leading in the desert. You see, it usually doesn't come out as I want to go back to my old life, but sometimes it's the comfort or security or safety that you might perceive is with your old life. And there's a, usually a season in your life where your old life tempts you and begs you to come back. And when life gets tough in the new life, you see an option to go back. The problem is it's a lie. When you step back and look at the situation, you realize it's insanity. When you look at the story of the Israelites, we look at their life now, 3,500 years later, and we think, you're, you're absolutely ridiculous. You, you guys are being babies, right? It's because we know the, the, where the story goes. We know they are eventually cross the Jordan River and go into the Promised Land. And eventually we know that Jesus Christ comes. So we look at their life and we think, why, why are you whining about where you're at? Because we know the end of the story. But when it's us, and, and we're kind of in the middle of the desert season of our life, our old life sounds like an option. For some, it sounds like a viable option. Sometimes we have a difficulty examining ourselves, stepping outside our current situation to look at the big picture. Erwin McManus gives advice about our past. He says this, he says, burn it. Burn the past. Another way to say, bury it. Let me ask you a question. Have you buried your old life? Have you buried your old life? We identify with Christ in death and in burial, but that's not the end of the story. Death and burial is followed by resurrection. In fact, death opens the door to life. Now remember, these are the identities that we face in the waters of baptism that represents our life in Christ. Baptism is the ultimate expression of our salvation in Christ Jesus. And so the third way that we identify with Jesus in the waters of baptism is resurrection. Paul says this, for if we have been united with him, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see, church family, when we die to our old life, we are raised to a new life, a new sphere of life, a new way of living, the way of Jesus. When we are resurrected spiritually, we are alive in a way that we've never felt. It says the Spirit of God breathes upon us and fills us. He forms us. We experience life differently. I love what Jesus promised in John 10.10. 10. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
You know, oftentimes the translation is abundant life. That the plan of Jesus in this new life when we bury the past and bury your old self is to have an abundant life. Life to the full. Life that is better than you could ever imagine. Why? Because it's life with Jesus. And the resurrection is the victory over death, over sin, over your old life. Paul puts it this way in Galatians. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You see, when you trust in Jesus, you are opened up to a new way of living that you've never experienced. Not only does this resurrection symbolize what will happen in our eternal life in Christ after our physical death, but it symbolizes that we right now are opened up to a new way of living here and now. One scholar put it this way, that the cross was sin's final move and the resurrection was God's checkmate. The game is over. Sin is forever in defeat. Christ the victor died to sin once for all and lives now in unbroken fellowship with God. Let me ask you one final question. Are you experiencing the new life that the Bible promises? Are you experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit, the breathing out of his presence in your life. Doesn't mean that you're always gonna be happy. Does mean that you will have joy. But what it means is that you get to face life from a different stance, not from a place of defeat, not from a place of weakness, but from a place of victory and a place of strength. We identify with Jesus in death and burial and in his resurrection. Our identity crisis is over in the waters of baptism. We've become followers of Jesus. We've entered eternal life. By the way, eternal life in the Bible does not start on the day that you die physically. It starts on the day that you say yes to Jesus. So if you said yes to Jesus, then you're living eternal life now. And it will transition when you face a physical death to be with Jesus. But you're living eternal life now. And we become more like Jesus in the waters of baptism. Let me leave you with this, that I am not defined by culture. I am defined by Christ. We are not defined and validated by the culture that, we, that it surrounds us. We are defined by Jesus Christ in the word of God. God's plan, his purpose, his identity has been spoken over you through the scriptures. I want you to, to bow your heads and pray with me in this moment. We're going to go into a worship song as we close today. But I just want us to respond to the gospel of Jesus this morning. God, thank you so much for bringing us into this new way of life. Spirit of God, for breathing on us and in giving newness, Lord, and in changing our identity and changing our status from old to new, from, from, from sinner to saint. And God, I pray in this moment, those who may be listening, watching in the room right now, God, if they're struggling with their identity, Lord, I pray, God, that they would turn towards you, look towards you, turn their face towards you, and receive their greatest identity from you. 
And if that's you right now in the moment during this time, just invite Jesus into your heart. Maybe some of you have never said the prayer, never invited God into your life. You can do that in this moment. You can ask God to fill you. Ask God, invite him into your heart and invite him in to your life. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We honor your name and we bless you. And everyone said, amen.